First the heart is rotten, then the body follows, and then the mind goes. Immorality always leads to insanity. When people lose their morals, ultimately they lose their minds. They can't think straight. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Confronting Moral Perversion. Yesterday we saw that when heterosexual immorality is widespread, then a nation will soon embrace homosexual perversion. And today, Pastor Carl shows that God's Word gives clear evidence that He made us male and female. God is the one who determines gender, not man. Please join us in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verse 6, as we continue. So God outlines for us the sins of Sodom. The first sin he mentions is pride, or the King James says arrogance. The Bible says that God is opposed to the proud. And I fear that some people listening to me today will not become a Christian. Why? Because they're proud. They think that somehow they can earn heaven and please God through their own human effort and merit, and you cannot. Christ came to save the helpless, Paul says in Romans 5. He came not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. But in addition to the sin of pride, the second sin is mentioned here is the sin of gluttony, or the New American Standard renders it abundant food. The Old English says fullness of bread. That's God's way of saying they were thinking about the things of the flesh and not the things of the Spirit. And Paul describes such lost people in Philippians where their God is their stomach, their belly. Third, he mentions careless ease or idleness. And so the Living Bible paraphrases this, they were guilty of pride, too much food, and laziness. That's more and more of the United States of America. We have 10 million jobs that they cannot find workers for. And so you go to all these places and you just want some basic service and they say, please be patient, we can't find anybody to work. Why? Because the government is rewarding laziness. Fourth, we learn they were selfish and that they did not help the poor and needy. Now, the Bible is clear when you see a legitimate need, especially of a person who's a believer of the household of faith, you should do what you can to help that individual. God tells us in Proverbs that the one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And we help hundreds of families every month in our food pantry. And I thank you for those who contribute. And God says he'll repay such an individual. But then he caps it all off, and here it is, abominations. Verse 50. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Now, what were these abominations? Ezekiel does not have to spell it out because he assumes the readers are familiar with Genesis 19. They were guilty, among other things, of sexual perversion. God had destroyed the Twin Cities. It was a known fact. It had been in the minds of the Hebrew people for centuries. I don't want you to be in the dark for a moment about how God feels about the sin of homosexuality, jot down, if you would, Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 18.22. There Moses wrote, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. And so, by the way, when I wrote my comment on Instagram, among other responses was, is Leviticus and, you know, hey, pastor, because I put a link to a sermon I had preached on this subject, and so they discovered who I was, Pastor Carl. <laughs> And they said, well, you're not consistent. You know, Leviticus speaks about not eating shellfish. Do you eat shellfish? Leviticus speaks about not mixing two kinds of cloth together. 
Um, you know, do you follow that and on and on? And, and then they'll typically raise up. And Jesus never addressed the subject of homosexuality. Now, response is, my response is very simple, and your response should be as simple as well. And that is the Bible distinguishes between the moral law of God and the ceremonial law of God. The ceremonial law that pictured the coming work and person of Christ and that distinguished the Jews under the old covenant has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. The only ongoing aspect of the law is the moral law. But even if someone couldn't figure that out or understand that, all you have to do is read the New Testament. And by the way, to say that Jesus never addressed the subject of homosexuality is sheer ignorance. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, I did not come in Matthew 5.17 to abolish the law and the prophets. By the way, that would include books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy where this subject is noted. And then when Jesus spoke about the sin of breaking a marriage, he defined what a marriage was. Now, the Supreme Court of the United States can redefine marriage and they can call it a marriage, but it's not a marriage. Abraham Lincoln used to say, you know, you can say if a dog's tail is a leg that the dog has five legs, but he doesn't. And you can redefine marriage, but it's not a marriage. And by virtue of his definition of marriage, Jesus spoke against the perversion of homosexual marriage. He said, have you not read, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we'll see another major passage where he definitively recalled what took place in Sodom. Jot down this text, Leviticus 20 and verse 13. Leviticus 20, 13. There God said, if there is a man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Now, under the theocracy of Israel, and by the way, there was only one theocracy in the history of the world where God personally, sovereignly ruled over a nation, namely Israel. And just like adultery, God said if someone was guilty of homosexuality, they would be put to death. Now, there is no such application today, but God was preserving the nation. And God put in a lot of checks and guardrails in order to protect the nation because it is through Israel that he's going to bring the Savior of the world. But God calls this a detestable act, just like Ezekiel calls it an abomination. And those who think otherwise are haughty. And so they came out of their closets in Genesis 19, just as people are today. Jot down this verse, 2 Peter 2.6. I already referenced it, but let me read it to you. There God tells us that he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live godly thereafter. By the way, every time God spoke through an apostle, that was Jesus speaking. Because in the upper room discourse, he told them that he would write scripture through them. But they're an example. Listen to this verse, Jude 7. We don't usually say Jude 1 colon 7 because there's just one chapter. So if you're new to the Bible, that's why it looks like Jude 7, one chapter. Jude 7 teaches that by reducing Sodom to ashes, God gave a warning of eternal fire. He reminded us of what he thinks. Please jot down Deuteronomy 22 in verse 5. There God said, a woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. By the way, this verse affirms, just like in Genesis 1, there's only two sexes, male and female. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. 
He is not saying a woman can't wear slacks. If you study the clothing in the first century, you'll see there was a lot of parallels between what a man wore and a woman wore in their robe-like thing. But what he is speaking about is androgynous behavior, what some call today gender dysphoria, gender fluidity, or transgenderism. He is not prohibiting wearing a certain kind of garment as much as he is saying, by the way you dress and the way you look, you should not blur the sexes. And God calls the sin of homosexuality an abomination, just as he calls bestiality an abomination, just as he calls a man dressing up like a woman an abomination. Transgender behavior blurs the distinction between what God said in Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God gives clear evidence that he made us male and female. God is the one who determines gender. Now, we think we're smarter than God. And that's why Paul says the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And as Americans, we are making ourselves out to be utter fools, not to mention we are harming and abusing little children and teenagers in our school by teaching them that this is normal and natural behavior. There is no such thing as gender fluidity. And until 2013, to help people who thought this way, they called it gender identity disorder. They saw it as a disorder. And I want to say that children who are being taught this, I, I want to help those people. And most of the time, if they're left alone, they'll, they'll grow out of it. It's just the evil influence of adults. Man, what, what an awful thing to cause a child to stumble. Jesus said it's better to be drowned by a millstone than to cause a little child to stumble. But I want to help people like this, but that's not what our government is doing. We're not going to treat it as a pastor. That was the big issue right up there in Columbia that hundreds of you called about. No, we want to affirm this behavior. What we need is the wisdom from above because by nature we're a bunch of fools. And we need the wisdom of God. We need to have our minds calibrated with Holy Scripture. Listen, when God made you, Psalm 139 says, He knit you together in, his mother's, in your mother's womb. He made you male or female. God gave you the gender you are. It's, you're either male or female. It's not, it's not a both-and proposition. The Bible points to the fact that God made us different, that he might make us one, and he made us different because he has different functions for men and for women. A politician cannot determine the function of biology. God determines that. And when we deny God's sovereignty, when we deny God's word and what he says about it, we're blaspheming the living God. And so, you know, we've got all this talk about, you know, bathrooms and who can use which one and we had all these principals and assistant principals and like a dozen police officers who came in to meet with me because uh, they said, hey, you know, we had a crisis in the high school and there's a gas leak and we had to remove hundreds and hundreds of students, didn't have a place to go. This would be a safe place. Could, could they come if we had some kind of crisis or shooting something? I said, of course, we would welcome them with one exception. I said, if a man, a young man comes in, he says he's a woman. 
he's going to use the bathroom of his birth. And if a woman says she is a man, she is going to use the bathroom of her birth. I don't care if Peter calls himself Patty or anything else. I said, and if you're in agreement with that and you put it in writing, I have no problem with it. I've yet to see a letter. It's not going to happen, not on my watch. And so we have these sexual perverts and pedophiles who want to go into restrooms where there's little children that does not represent their sex. And by the way, why a woman would want a man in her restroom is beyond me. I used to clean restrooms in high school among the many jobs I had as I cleaned my father's office building. And I'll tell you, there's a big difference between the cleanliness of a male restroom and a female restroom. I mean, it's just yuck, ladies. I don't know why you'd want them in there. Hold your finger here. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I want you to write down Romans 1, 26 and 27, and I want you to turn there. Now, Romans 1, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you come to the very first epistle. You're past the historical books of the Bible, and the first epistle is the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 1. Paul is describing people who hold down what they know to be true about their Creator and how they've replaced their knowledge of God with one that they've created in their own minds. And so he'll say in verse 22 that they profess to be wise, but they've become fools. Why? Because they've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. They've created a God in their own mind. And so what we find in Romans chapter 1 is a contrast between what we might call the future wrath of God with present-day wrath. When you read about the wrath of God, most people just think of the eternal wrath of God in hell. But there's actually different kinds of wrath that are expressed in Scripture. There's what we might call cataclysmic wrath. That would be like the flood. That would be like um, Sodom and Gomorrah being burned into oblivion. There's the coming tribulation wrath that will be unique during that seven-year period when God brings all kinds of fury down from heaven designed to bring people to repentance, his final wake-up call. And then there's what we might call the wrath of God to come, the eternal wrath, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels from flaming fire. He's going to deal out retribution to those who don't know God. They'll pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Where? In that place we call the lake of fire. But then there's what we might call present-day wrath, and that's what Romans 1 is speaking of. Look, if you will, at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Circle that word is. It's a present tense in the Greek New Testament, as reflected here in our English Bibles. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, please note, this is wrath that will not be revealed in the future, but this is wrath that is being revealed right now. Now, normally, again, we, we think of the future wrath, but this is a current day wrath, and I don't want you to miss that. It's very important. There's a dimension of God's wrath that works quietly, almost invisibly, but if you know your Bible, it's quite visible. And that's what we're seeing in our day. You know, and sometimes, too, you read people's books or you hear someone who will come. Occasionally, someone will call in the Bible line or meet the pastor, and they'll say, well, help me to understand, Pastor Carl, how the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament, and I think they've never read the Bible. 
All you have to do is read what Jesus said about hell. He said more about hell than he said about heaven, and he gave very descriptive terms. All you have to do is read about the coming tribulation period, especially in the Revelation. All you have to do is read about the future coming wrath of God, and you'll say, he's no different. And if you read the Old Testament carefully, you will find God's grace and compassion over and over and over again wanting to bring people to himself. And when you read Romans 1, you read of a current-day expression of the wrath of God. Paul said it this way. This is not unique. He said, in the generations gone by, Acts 14, 16, in the generations gone by, he, speaking of the Lord God, permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And that's what we find happening here, and it's what we find happening in America, and not just in America. This is now a global issue where sinners go their own ways. When a people refuse to acknowledge God as God, they suppress the truth of God in their thinking. Therefore, verse 24, three times over, God says he gave them over. Don't miss that. God gave them over. Verse 24, verse 26, and then in verse 28. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Stage one, when God abandons an individual or a nation, broadly speaking, when a nation refuses to honor God as God or give him thanks. I remember I was in the fourth grade, Miss Weeks. She said, I've always taught that God created the world. But she said, now I am mandated to teach you evolution. What were we doing with our little children in schools? We're suppressing the truth of God. And when you have a guy like Tim Keller who calls himself an apologist, who says that Genesis 1 and 2 is contradictory, and evangelicals are gobbling up his book, look, if you can't trust what the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2, neither can you trust what God says in Genesis 19. So we were suppressing the truth of God, that he is the creator to whom we should give thanks. And when a nation does that, God gives them over to impurity. And so we began to smush God out of our thought life. And the sexual revolution began. And we saw the growing sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. And they were given over to the lusts that were in their hearts, to impurity in their body. Listen, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. The opposite could be said, cursed is the nation of the people who will not acknowledge God as God. And so it became more and more pornographic. And child abuse began to become expressed in a greater way. And we had to legitimize abortion because it was convenient for someone who wanted to be immoral to get rid of the baby in their womb. Verse 26, stage two. For this reason, the careful reader will ask, for what reason? When through the suppression of truth, a nation fails to acknowledge God as God, and God says, okay, I'll let you go your way. And the Spirit of God doesn't stop. He keeps convicting. He convicts them in their sin and their sensuality, but they ignore that. Then God gives them over to stage two. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. Had a young high school student going out the door after the first service. and No baptisms today, so I didn't have to rush out and she said, Pastor Carl, in my high school, I play on the volleyball team. So many of the young ladies are lesbians. Yep. 
women athletics. Better be careful when you put your kids on those athletic teams. Just like when you enroll your child in an art course or a music course, there's good people in all of those, but there's a lot of people who are living a deviant lifestyle. And she said, all these young women are arguing with me. Some are saying they're bisexual. Others are saying they're lesbian. You know, how do I answer that? I said, well, when you take all the air out of the balloon, what it basically comes down to, is the Bible true? I said, go into the bookstore, tell them you can have a free copy, how to prove the Bible is true. Because if the Bible is true, then you have a plumb line by which you can measure any thought that you have. That's where it begins. There are women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. This is plain and simple lesbianism. And history documents that a nation is on its last stage when women do this, because women tend to be more protective over their children. And when a woman lose the virtue of a relationship between a man and a woman, when they involve themselves in degrading passions, the nation is gone. So he continues, verse 27, and in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function of the women and burn in their desire one towards another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Again, I know more and more people are tolerant of this sin, but please make no mistake how God describes the sin of homosexuality. He calls it degrading passions, or literally the Greek reads passions of dishonor. He calls it natural, though you can go into the Buford Public Library and in the children's section, they define this as normal. You need to watch what your kids are reading. He says they are committing indecent acts. In, the, in their own persons is due the penalty of their error. In their own persons, they received in themselves, the King James says. What kind of penalty did they receive in themselves? I don't think it's so much disease in their body, though that would certainly be one consequence. But I think among other things, it's a rejection of male and female identity as God made us. I spent a lot of time, 12 years in campus ministry and after that, local church ministry, and I've dealt with dozens of people saved out of homosexual backgrounds. And very often when I meet them, there's a, lot, there's a loss of masculine identity or a loss of female mannerisms. Females who act like males and men who act like women either outwardly or inwardly through the expression of their sexual drive. But understand, homosexuality is not a genetic predisposition. It's not some structural difference in your mind, in your brain. It's not some innate sexual desire. It is a perversion. It is an abomination. It is a detestable act. It is a degrading passion. It is error. It is gross immorality. Your argument is not with me. Your argument is with God, and either this book is absolutely true or it's not. That's what you have to ask and answer for yourself. And so when you see a society adopting sexual immorality and fornication and adultery and homosexuality as the dominant expression and way of life, you see a nation that is on its way down. And what do they have to look forward to? That brings us to stage three verses 28 to 32, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, now the third step in this downward spiral, God gave them over to a depraved and adikamos mind to do those things that are not proper. 
First the heart is rotten, then the body follows, and then the mind goes. Immorality always leads to insanity. When people lose their morals, ultimately they lose their minds. They can't think straight. Common question I get on the Bible line, if you're not familiar with the Bible line, I know some weeks uh, we have 30 or more states that are live streaming in foreign countries. You can submit questions at searchthescriptures.org or you can go on live Tuesdays at 11. And a common question I've had over the years is, what is a depraved mind? Well, it's the Greek word adikimos. Now, the word dokimos, without the alpha prefix, is used in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to describe either a person or a metal that has been tested and found to be true. And so it's real gold. It's not fake gold. It's found to be true. Well, when you put the alpha prefix in front of it, the A, it changes its meaning. And that's the word that God is using here to describe a depraved mind. It's just the opposite. It's not a sound mind. It's an unsound mind. In fact, there's a play on words in the Greek New Testament. It says literally, they reprobated the knowledge of God, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now, yesterday we marked the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And, and our country was right to stop, to reflect of this horrendous act of terrorism, and the men and women who at the risk of their own life defended our nation, and then all those people who signed up to defend freedom and what is right. And most people acknowledge that as an act of terrorism, and they can list in their own minds several acts of terrorism that have happened in the history of our country. But I'm telling you, there are four major acts of terrorism that most people never acknowledge. Four that were made by the Supreme Court and have been affirmed by politicians. The first one is we kicked God out of the schools and we said no prayer. The second one is no Bible reading. That was in first grade. It was already against the law, but still they read the Lord's Prayer every day until reality caught up with the law and they said, no, no, not anymore. And as far as I know, my first grade teacher was not born again. Maybe she was, I don't know, but we still read the Lord's Prayer every day. And a short throw from there is we said, oh, you got the Ten Commandments that were on most walls in public schools in America? Take them off. The third act of terrorism is when the Supreme Court legitimized abortion. Sixty million Americans are missing. Really much more than that because if those 60 million had grown up and gotten married, we'd have a lot more. We couldn't survive as a nation. You couldn't be getting your Social Security check even now if we weren't bringing people in from other nations. And sadly, the southern border is wide open. You say, well, that's compassion. That's not compassion. That's stupidity. It's a denial of what God says about borders. We should welcome the alien into the land, but there's a way in which you welcome them. But we legalized abortion... And now the sale of body parts through that wicked and vile organization, Planned Parenthood. And just like the blood of Abel cries out, the blood of 60 million missing babies cries out. And then the fourth greatest act of terror that our Supreme Court did was they legitimized same-sex marriage. If you would like to listen again to today's sermon or any past messages in this series, remember that you can use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 
7478 and requesting program CMP21B. We would like to thank everyone that supports the ministry of Search the Scriptures. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.